This is the last message in the series from Romans 13 on the law of God, what we're doing. We are working our way through the last four chapters in the book of Romans, and we'll take a break, and then we'll continue to work through it more probably this year. But this is the last in, in this, and what we've seen is that Paul is coming alongside Gentile believers who are in danger of being loaded down with Jewish commandments. To their dismay, Gentile believers are learning that there are 613 Jewish commandments that you get that you take from the first five books of the Bible. The problem is that what began as a manageable list of 10 has become an unmanageable list of 613, not including the unwritten amendments to those 613 um, regulations. And the problem is that at the time, the 39 books of the Old Testament is the only Bible that they have. So these lists, whether they be 10 or 613, come from their Bible. And that's what makes it a little bit confusing. You say, well, what? why should it create some confusion? Somebody wrote a letter in response, a fictitious letter, in response to Dr. Laura, who has some things to say about the law, and he writes with tongue-in-cheek. I wondered if I was going to include this, but I figured it's a little bit edgy, but I thought I'd throw it at you anyways. I'm going to read it, so if you want to follow along, it's the Dr. Laura letter. Dear Dr. Laura, thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I have learned a great deal from your show and try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some elements of God's law and how to follow them. Leviticus 25.44 states that I may possess slaves, both male and female, provided they are purchased from neighboring nations. A friend of mine claims that this applies to Mexicans, but not Canadians. Can you clarify? Why can't I own Canadians? I would like to sell my daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for her? I know that I am allowed no contact with a woman while she is in her period of menstrual uncleanliness. Le- Leviticus 15.19-24, the problem is how do I tell? I've tried asking, but most women take offense. <laughs> When I burn a bull on the altar as a sacrifice, I know it creates a pleasing order for the Lord, Leviticus 1.9. The problem is my neighbors. They claim the order is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly states he should be put to death. Am I morally obliged to kill him myself, or should I ask the police to do it? A friend of mine feels that even though eating shellfish is an abomination, Leviticus 11.10, it is a lesser abomination than homosexuality. I don't agree. Can you settle this? Are there degrees of abomination? Leviticus 21.20 states that I may not approach the altar of God if I have a defect in my sight. I have to admit that I wear reading glasses. Does my vision need to be 20-20 or is there some wiggle room here? Most of my male friends get their hair trimmed including the hair around their temples. 
even though this is expressly forbidden by Leviticus 19.27. How should they die? I know from Leviticus 11.6-8 that touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But may I still play football if I wear gloves? <laughs> My uncle has a farm. He violates Leviticus 19.19 by planting two different crops in the same field, as does his wife by wearing garments made of two different kinds of thread, cotton, polyester blend. He also tends to curse and blaspheme a lot. Is it really necessary that we go to all the trouble of getting the whole town together to stone them? Leviticus 24, 10 through 16. Couldn't we just burn them to death as a, at a private family affair, like we do with people who sleep with their in-laws? I know you have studied these matters extensively and thus enjoy considerable expertise in these matters, so I am confident you can help. Thank you for reminding us that God's Word is eternal and unchanging. And God's Word is eternal and, un is and, and unchanging, but that doesn't mean within the context of the Bible that, we, that there are changes. Do these regulations still apply? How many of them apply? Ten? 613? How about the verbal, unwritten amendments. Um, in Romans 13, Paul clears the confusion. And you understand what that would feel like if you're a Gentile believer being inundated by the expression of laws from the Bible that you have as your Bible. Paul clears the confusion by summing all the commands under one command. Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. It says in Romans 13, 8 through 10, it's not included here, but it's one we looked at a couple weeks ago, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And again, what Paul does, he clarifies what it is that God's looking for. If you look past the 613, past the 10, to the one or to the two, what is it? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fulfillment of the law. And this is what he focuses their attention in order to clear the confusion. It's easier to remember to do two things or one thing divided in half than 10 or 613 things. Um, Paul concludes this chapter by giving us a hint about how we might go about doing that. And this is what he says in our text, Romans 13. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It means to follow Jesus and to strive to let our lives be molded according to the pattern of his earthly life. What is that? What is the pattern of Jesus' earthly life? The override commitment to love. This is the will of God. And if you want to look at a person who did what God wanted relative to loving God and loving one another, that's Jesus. He epitomizes, defines, exemplifies what it means to love. I made a mistake originally when I titled this message. I originally titled it, 
the example of Jesus. That's a miss. We're not supposed to put on the example of Jesus. We're supposed to put on Jesus. And the reason why I say that, this is a very strange statement. In religions, they talk about putting on a code. Buddhists talk about putting on the uh, eightfold path of Buddhism or the five pillars of Islam or the Ten Commitments, Ten Commandments of Judaism. It's common in religious talk to put on a code, to look at life, to boil it down to what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, and to judge myself according to those codes. That means that's how you put on a code. But it doesn't tell us to put on a code. That's why the example of Jesus would have been a mistake. It's not the example of Jesus that we put on in a way. It's the life of Jesus. And what's the difference? That's what we want to try to figure out this morning. The difference between putting on Jesus and putting on a code or a standard, is that something that we need to be concerned about? I think it is. Um, the command to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, again, is, is very unique. Uh, Christianity is different because we're commanded not to put on a code, but to put on a person. And it puts this in a negative context at well, as well. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the negative counterpart. So don't only put on Jesus, but don't make advanced preparation for fleshly desires. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to take time thinking about how to indulge the desires of the sinful nature. And again, um, don't even think about it. Don't even think about that. So don't entertain thoughts related to satisfying the desires of the sinful nature. Put on the armor of light. Put on the deeds of darkness. Let's pray. And we're done. Why are you laughing? We've clarified a what, but what have we left? How? How do you do this? Would you agree with me? A what without a how is a problem. It's a problem. I told you before I got had good what and a bad how in high school. I was looking to have a job. I'll, I'll make this quick. I was, looking to, I was looking to make money one summer, so then I found this job that you could make three to $500 a week calling people on the phone. I'm in. Myself and Mark Santangelo, my friend, we said, we're there. Went there, and the boss was driving a um, vet. He said, we're good. We're good. So all we had to do was call people, business people, during the day and sell them space in a program to be handed out at a concert. Bobby Goldsboro concert. And honey, I miss you. And I'm feeling good. And so that's the concert. So I'm calling up business people in the middle of their day saying, hi, hey. Um, uh, I know you're going to want some space, and there's going to be some of the proceeds are going to go to to help sick kids somewhere. And so, oh boy, I tell you what, there was a I lost money. I am not a good salesperson, so I'm calling these people, and this one guy just reams me out, and, <laughs> and so and but there's a, there was an upside. There was a really good sub place, and the bread was just really much. So I lost money that summer. I I, I three to five. So you know what the deal was with this thing. It had a really good what, but a bad how. Bad how. 
You can be given a good what, but if you don't have a good how, you're not going to accomplish it. Okay, God wants us to love him and one another. And what's the question that we need to answer? How? And then the Old Testament gives us some clues. What it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There are some how statements in there, are there not? What God says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So what do you need in order to carry out the commandment to love God and one another? If you have a heart of stone, you need to trade it in for a heart of flesh. And what's how? What's that going to take? God is going to put his spirit in you and move you. Move you to follow his decrees. And to be careful to keep those laws. Would you agree with me that if there is an impelling force that's available to allow us to do the things that we're supposed to do, that's a good how. Do you agree with me? That's a good how. If somebody could have inhabited me, some of you are great salespersons. If I could have had you live in me, speak through my mouth. Dial with my finger. Some of you are not afraid to ask people, and you could have talked to that guy. Come on, man. It's just kids. These kids are going to benefit. You got an extra 100, 150 bucks. Come on. And you could have sold them if you could have inhabited me. I couldn't. We need to be inhabited by Jesus. And the spirit of God comes in and moves us to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. Um, how do you get a heart of stone? Do you have to be really uncaring? You have a heart of stone. You know what hit me? And I'll, I'm going to make a statement then explain it. The heart becomes what the heart beholds. The heart becomes what the heart beholds. Get a question. Are we supposed to gaze at Ten Commandments? Or are we supposed to gaze at Jesus? Is there a difference? Is there a difference? What are the Ten Commandments? What were they written on? Stone. Would you imagine that gazing at stone turns our heart to stone. We want a heart of flesh. We have to look from a code to a person. Could it be that love is catalyzed not when you look at a code, but when you look at a person? A person. A person is not a code. A code doesn't have a smile on its face. A code doesn't have a relationship with you. You can't have a discussion with a code. 
You can't open your heart to a code. A code is black and white. Gaze at the Ten Commandments and you'll have a heart of stone. Let's talk about a heart of stone. In order to know how, we need to remember what Paul has already written in the letter. We need to be especially mindful of what Paul has said about the Law of Moses. He says some very interesting things about it in the, in the letter of Romans. And so what we're going to do is refresh our memory so that it will help us to understand how to and how not to put on the Lord Jesus. Because would you agree with me? Putting on Jesus... And what we're going to see and having the Spirit empower us are, we're going to understand what that means. But first, in order to understand what that means, we've got to understand the limits of the law. We have to understand this. Because what we're going to see, if you don't have a clear understanding of the limits of the law, I want you to listen to me. If you don't have a clear understanding of the limits of the law, you cannot understand how to live by the Spirit. Cannot. People talk about living by the Spirit as this kind of this buzz in the back of your head. Go call that woman. That might happen. It's not what Paul sees as living by the Spirit. And if we are going to experience the influence of the Spirit, we've got to understand how to access it. And that's why we've got to understand the limits of the law. You cannot understand how to live by the Spirit if you don't understand the limits of the law. Can't do it. And we'll see We'll see that. Paul will help us understand that. Uh, okay, so what in, the, in the, the outline, there's a couple things about law, and it says in Romans 2, well, First, the law reveals sin. The law reveals sin. It says Romans 3, 19 through 20. Therefore, no one would be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Either the Ten Commandments or the 13, 613. It says, rather through the law we become conscious of sin. Okay, I told you this before, but I'll do it again. When I was little, back in school, they helped us identify cavities. So what you did, they gave you blue gum. Everybody ever remember the blue gum? Anybody? Come on, give me a break, will you? Thank you very much for. So you'd, you'd chew the blue gum and then you'd go. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not sure why that would happen. Anyways, but you know, it doesn't give you ear problems; gives you teeth problems. And what would and what happens? And what ends up happening? You open your mouth and then if there's cavities, they are dyed in blue. <laughs> so here's the deal with that. Um, the law is like the blue gum. It reveals cavities. Um, the law points them out. Cavities in how you relate to God. Cavities in how you relate to others. Cavities in how you relate to yourself. Cavities in what? Cavities in your love. That's what the law points out. Cavities in your love. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Cavities. Not doing things you should do. Cavity. The law points out cavities. That's its purpose. Not only does the law reveal sin, what it says in Romans 5, 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. I want you to look at that verse. You need to understand this verse. Did God give us the law so we would have fewer cavities or more? What does this say? What does it say? 
Are you telling me now? Again, I'm going to push you on this. That God stipulates the Ten Commandments so that we would sin more. Is that what you're telling me? So we'd have more cavities. Is that what you're saying? How many of you have kind of a problem with that? Mike, I, I, I don't... Yeah. Good. Some honest people. Can we admit, though, without completely understanding it, that is what it says? In the Greek, um, trespass might increase means the trespass might increase. <laughs> Strangely, in Greek. Um, the law doesn't just point out cavities. Here's the deal. So here's the deal. If you compare the law to the gum, not only does the law turn cavities blue, but if there's a clear tooth here and you chew the gum, guess what happens to this tooth? More cavities. It creates more cavities. More cavities in your love for God. More cavities in your love for others. More cavities in your love for self. If an, if a standard is hung over your head, you love this person or else. It doesn't lead toward love. It leads away from it. It leads to self-preservation. And you can't save your life and somebody else's life at the same time. Something has to go. The law reveals sin, increases sin, and actually the law produces sin. Look what it says in Romans 7, 7 and 8. Paul writes, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is death. Apart from law, sin is dead. The law, okay, you have to listen to this. The law is to sin what a diet of Mountain Dew is to teeth. The law is to sin what a diet of Mountain Dew is to teeth. The cause of a mouthful of problems. Uh, Paul evaluates his spiritual smile, and he notices cavities that we don't think are cavities. What he notices is coveting cavities. I really like that. Coveting cavities. Cavities and coveting. Coveting is a sin. It's one of those sins that get whisked off the page. Coveting, come on. You know what coveting literally means? To delight in something. That's what the word literally means, delight in something. It can be positive or negative depending on what we delight in. We think of coveting, uh, J.C. talks about him as Gollum, as something. It's possessive, but it's not just descriptive of possessing something evil. It's just passion or desire. And so delighting in something Belonging to another person violates the Ten Commandments. That's it. Desiring something that belongs to another person violates the Tenth Commandment is coveting. What we take, when we take delight in what belongs to our neighbor, we cross the line of the Tenth Commandment. We don't have to steal it to cross the line. 
We don't have to lie about our neighbor in order to cross the line. We just need to want to have what they have. Or we just need to resent them for having it. Either way, that's what coveting is. Is it possible not to covet? I don't believe it is. Unless, if I focus on do not covet, I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to covet. How successful am I going to be at not coveting if I focus on a standard? Anybody? (laughs) What about love? If I am more drawn by love and impelled by love, will that help me? In the direction of not covenant, it it really does. It really does. That's where um, where Paul is is telling us here the the law reveals sin, increases sin, and produces sin. I read this somewhere, and I think it's a really good statement. I want you to look at that. That represents the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And in it, and it has a lot of good things in it, but there's a lot of commandments, and there's 613 specific requirements in the law of Moses. The law stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. The law stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. Um, How can we have a heart of love rather than a heart of stone? Well, first of all, what we saw, to have a heart of stone, all you have to do is focus on love because the heart becomes what the eyes behold. And if it's a standard, even the standard of the Ten Commandments, that's a stone that we become stone. It doesn't lead away from covenant. It leads toward it. Okay, Mike, how do we have a heart of love? Let's talk about that. When Paul visited Galatia, it's the region of what is now known as Turkey, he presented the good news, and people changed. It was dramatic what happened in Galatia. He came in and said, you're children of God based on what you believe, not how you behave. They said, really? And in the wake of hearing good news and believing it, love bloomed. They started to love one another. They felt positive about God. They started doing things for one another. Then something happened. And Paul ends up writing these kind of things in the letters. He says in in Galatians 4, what has happened to all your joy? What happened? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. He says, what happened? And he said, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by one another. They're chewing one another up and picking bits of each other from their teeth. What happened? Paul came in, gave them the good news. They loved one another, and all of a sudden, things shift. And he writes this letter to solve the problem. Okay, I want you to think. You're writing a letter to a group of people that believed in Jesus, started to love, 
and now things are coming off the rails. They don't care about Paul. They're chewing up one another. I want you to think. If you're going to give them three commands, and if you're going to write a letter to them, what are you going to write? What do they need to hear? What do you need to command them to do or not to do? Tough thing, isn't it? That's what Paul does. And what we find is um, he gives three commands in the letter. One's in chapter 3. The second is in chapter 5. And the third's in chapter 5. The first one is, and it's in your outline, is this, Galatians 3, 6, and 7. The first command he gives them. It's, it's third chapter in. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And here's the command. Understand that those who believe are children of Abraham. Notice the first command is understand grace. Embrace grace. Understand that believing makes you a child of Abraham, not behaving. That's the first thing he tells them. Why is that important? Um, They said yes to the truth, the truth of the gospel. They said yes to it. You know what ended up happening, though? They had a good yes. They didn't have a good no. And when somebody came in and started to suggest that, well, how many of you believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus? Oh, that's really good. So God loves you. Now listen to me. I'm going to. God will love you even more. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Even more if you dot, dot, dot. And they said, okay. I guess that's it. And they had a good yes, Jesus loves you, but God loves you, but they didn't have a good no. When this person said, God will love you even more, you know really what they needed to say? <coughs> Off by a covenant. Ooh. <laughs> that's what they needed to say. <coughs> Off by a covenant. In the new covenant, love is secured by the work of Jesus on the cross and is available for free. I can't add or take an off by a covenant. That's, but what they said is, oh, that's, that's yeah, I guess that sounds good. And uh, this, that's why the second thing he tells them is um, resist legalism. It says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Eating the right things and eating the wrong things is still going to mess up your teeth. Would you agree? You can eat the right things, but if you can't say no to the wrong things, it's still going to mess up your teeth. You know, eat nice greens and eat a lot of fiber and you know, stuff that's crunchy and it'll clean up your teeth and then, you know, down Six pack of dew. I'm not jumping. How many of you really like Mountain Dew? And I'm jumping all over your case. You know, I, that's not what I mean. So that's what they need to say. You know, God loves you. He'll love you even more. And then what the people that came to Galatia, they filled in the blanks with expressions of Jewish devotion. Um, they thought that doing more would make them more blessed. That's not the good news. That's the not so good news. And that's what happened. They had a good yes, but they didn't have a good no. 
They couldn't go, eh, and then they started to believe that they could make God love them more. And because of this, they started to look and try to earn their love. You know what started to happen? The joy went from joy to whatever happened to their joy. And they began to bite and devour one another. You know what happens if I feel secure? I have room to love you. Isn't it great news? But when I start to not feel as secure, now i got to start to compare myself. I'm pretty spiritual, but I don't know if I'm as spiritual as Randy. I don't like hanging around him very much. I am more spiritual than Brett. <laughs> what you end up doing and it's kind of funny, but it isn't. Coveting becomes uncontrollable. You compare. Comparing always leads to coveting. And, and the heart, then we don't get to the heart of the matter. It's a security issue. If I feel fairly secure in my connection to him, my coveting and comparing is not as great. If I become insecure... I really don't know about my connection with him. And then I'm going to compare myself. And I'm going to, and that's the way it works. That's what happened to them. Um, we do the same thing. We substitute expressions of Krishna devotion. God will love you. And he loves you even more if you study the Bible. Is that true? He'll love you even more if you tithe more. He'll love you even more if you pray more. If you give more. If you serve more, God loves you and he'll love you even more if you'll be more devoted to him, if you'll behave better. And there's a sense to which that makes sense. But when we start to bite into that type of thinking, we start to look at one another differently. Start to compare and covet. And before you know it, something sours inside. You know what ends up happening? That heart of flesh that we had created starts to go hard. And a heart of stone cannot lead you to love. Can't do it. Can't do it. Embrace grace, resist legalism, and then serve one another in love. Look what he says in Galatians 5. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Resist legalism. Serve one another in love. It says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a clear what. The same what we find in Romans. Uh, Romans said, let no doubt debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who has, loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Galatians and Romans say exactly the same thing. If you want to do what God wants you to do, love is the way you define it. And then, 
Paul in Galatians follows it up with a couple of how statements, and this is what he says. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So when it talks about putting on Jesus, put off the the desires of the sinful nature, the thing that we can do to focus that clearly is live by the Spirit. That enables us to be clothed with Jesus and to avoid the desires of the sinful nature. So what you can do is take those two pieces of advice, focus them now in one thing, one thing. You want to be the person God wants you to be? Four words. Live by the Spirit. That's it. Four words. The same as what it says in Ezekiel. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Live by the Spirit. How do we do that? What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Do I kind of sit back and wait to get a jingle? It must have been the Spirit. That's what you, in, in, our, in our history we call the Shakers. There was the Shakers. And because when the Spirit came down, Started to shake. That's what the spirit feels like. Some other people in in Toronto, Canada, in the 70s, broke out into holy laughter. <laughs> that's when you. That's when the spirit comes on you. You you laugh outrageously, and other people they barking like dogs. <laughs> and that's how they knew the spirit came. So if the spirit comes on you, you shake or you bark like a dog. Or it's crazy. Right? Here's a question. How about this? What does live by the Spirit mean in the context? Is there any clarification here? That's a sensible thing to ask, isn't it? Would you agree? Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh regarding to its desires. Focus is on live by the Spirit. We need to understand what that means. I'm going to do something here. Let me give you just a minute. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? I don't want you to answer me. Do you have a clear idea? Now, I'm not going to. Do you have a clear idea of what it means? I find the vast majority of Christians don't. And it breaks my heart. Again, I'm not, and I have my moments. We really need to understand this, don't we? That's what Paul says. The last thing he says in that verse, if you are led by the Spirit, what does it say? If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under. You know what you do to be led by the Spirit? You stop focusing on the law. Isn't that strange? Because what we saw is the law reveals sin. Oh, that's right. The law increases sin. The law produces sin. So if I am going to become more loving, I need to take my gaze off of a stone code and put it on a person 
and I need not to mix those things up. Is that right? Those who are led by, and you know what you can do? There's three things then. How do you live by the Spirit? I'll give you three commands. Embrace grace. Resist legalism. And serve one another in love. Of those three, I'm going to tell you, the most difficult one will be the second. Resist legalism. I really like JCS. I tell stories about being in the car, listening to Christian radio. And within the car, driving someplace, somebody says something, and he goes, No! No! You know what? That's a good discipline. If you're listening to Christian programming and not saying no, I think you got to. And again, develop, I don't want to scare you, develop a good yes, but develop a good no. Somebody tells you, okay, practice, let's practice. Okay, I'm not going to scare you, but okay, this is the deal. I want you to do this after me. (laughs) Go ahead. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, God will love you. He'll love you even more if you memorize more of the Bible. He'll love you even more if you can up your giving from 5 to 10%. From 10 to 15. 15 to 20. God will love you. He'll love you even more if you serve down at the mission. If you serve two days at the mission. Three days at the mission. Okay, you've got, you got the deal. Develop a good no, and I'm going to laugh, but I'm not going to, because this is deadly serious. Is deadly serious. Our ability to be the people who God wants us to be centers on being able to experience the influence of the Spirit. You will not, listen to me, you cannot and will not experience the influence of the Spirit if you're gazing at the Ten Commandments. That's what it's saying here. That's what it's saying. So you're saying, Mike, what should I focus on? How about Jesus' commitments to you? How about the Father's commitments to you? And then turn that into an opportunity to serve one another in love. I think that's what Paul wants us to do. Refuse to go under law. By the way, we're going to sing, come on, sing a final song. I want you to know If you're like me, there's a lot of things to unlearn. We naturally are lawful in the way we look at the Bible and at God. Listen, don't be discouraged. It takes a long time. I can tell you, keep coming back. We will continue week after week after week after week after week to take our focus off the law and put it on the grace of Jesus because that is how we're going to experience living by the Spirit and that is how we're going to learn how to love. The, um, from Race for Grace, the article focused on Galatians, it's tricky, but it's something worth reading through. I suggest take that and reflect on it, review it, It will go through the different points relative to living by the Spirit. I would dare say the clearer you can be about that, the the more movement to do what God wants you to do that you'll experience. Let me pray for it. God, thanks for not only what's but how. You tell us that 
remove from us a heart of stone and you give us a heart of flesh, that you put your spirit in us and move us to be careful to keep your your laws and decrees. And what Paul understands and communicates to us is that's all about focusing on Jesus, not on the law. Now, we can focus on Jesus and we end up doing what the law wants us to do anyways because it's about love, but you can't love by looking at a law. You can only love by looking at a face, experiencing a relationship, and that's what you want. We're so easily drawn to dividing life into good and bad and looking at standards and codes. It's the way things work, and we can't not, not do that, but you want us to cultivate an ability to relate to you as a person, not as a code, as somebody that we could express ourselves to as we come into that relationship, strangely, our heart warms. We find a capacity to love. Pray you teach us about this. I know it's not a, it's a process. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. Give us the grace to continue to look at the things we need to do so that we can influence, experience your spirit, and we can love. In Jesus' name, amen.